Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro. Our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Great talking with all of you guys this week, emailing back and forth. Really helpful, very informative. Um, so we'll proceed. I was going to do um, a section today on cellular communication of what what actually goes on in the brain and that whole process which is fascinating and is really the area um, when those processes are disrupted when psychiatric medications are effective so i'll I'll save that for a different episode um and i figured it would be interesting to just do a general introduction of neuroanatomy Uh, What is this structure that sits atop all of our heads? Um, The average adult brain weighs approximately three three pounds. Um, Interesting fact, women's brains tend to be slightly smaller. However, that's advantageous because there's less distance for this neurological signals to travel with the synapses in the neurons. So um, the brain is divided into four lobes. Um, the frontal lobe, parietal lobe, temporal lobe, occipital lobe. So the we'll start from the back to the front. So the occipital lobe um, is part of the, well, let me back up. Let's start with what's called the cerebrum, all right? Uh, the cerebrum is comprised of two cerebral hemispheres that's connected by a bundle of nerve fibers called the corpus callosum, okay? Um, you may know that the right side of the body, can, uh, right side of the brain controls the left side of the body. The left side of the brain controls the right side of the body. So the surface of the cerebrum is is very folded. And I remember in one of my uh, first psychology classes, uh, the professor brought in an actual brain in a jar of formaldehyde. And it was something to this day I will remember just staring at it and in, in awe. Uh, it was this miraculous... Um, just just specimen of this is what drives us to think to feel to to motivate to create to all the things that we do and and, and i remember i don't remember the professor's name but i remember him saying that his favorite structure was the medulla oblongata and i'll never forget that to this day and i think that was uh certainly a catalyst that led me on a journey into the um profession that I'm very grateful to be able to do. So as I said, um, the cerebrum is, is is folded. So the convolutions are called a gyrus, and the groove betri- between the gyrus is called a sulcus. Uh, the deepest sulci are referred to as fissures. Uh, the longitudinal fissure separates the two hemispheres, and the central sulcus extends laterally just about the dividing the cerebrum into the anterior and posterior halves, look at the front and back. Um, the advantage of all this folding is that it allows for a larger surface area and it allows us to exist within the skull. Um, so <clears throat> the, the lobes again of the cerebrum 
again, starting with the occipital lobe, this is the furthest back and the primary visual area detects light, dark, direction of lines, borders of objects being observed. Uh, the secondary area is interpreting visual information. So in other words, the, the primary visual area helps in seeing words and images, and the secondary area helps to, to make sense of it all. Um, the parietal lobe, um, there's three, uh, three major functions of the parietal lobe. Um, the first is the somatosensory cortex. Now, this area is involved in the initial processing of sensory information arriving from sensors throughout the body, uh, such as touch, pain, pleasure, whatnot. There's the parietal lobe association area. Now, this is the area where the sensory information arriving in the secondary area has already been processed in the deeper brain structures in the primary sensory area. And this region helps to interpret the quality of the signal received, what is being touched, fur, sandpaper, whatnot. And uh, I mentioned this before, Wernicke's area in a different section. Uh, this is right at the juncture of the temporal, occipital, and parietal lobes of the cerebral cortex, and it's critical function is involved in the interpretation of language, whether it is external, something said, or internal thoughts. Okay. The temporal lobe uh, has three major functions as well. Uh, first is auditory response. Uh, the primary auditory area it, it helps the brain interpret auditory issues such as specific tones, uh, the loudness of sounds. The secondary area, again, similar to like with the parietal lobe, helps to interpret the meaning of spoken words. Uh, and both areas play a role in recognizing music. The emotional and visceral responses, uh, this is where the hippocampus, a part of the limbic system, is folded into the temporal lobe. Uh, temporal lobe is also responsible for learning and memory. Okay. Uh, as we move to the front of the brain, the frontal lobe. And this is a part of the brain that really, primarily the, 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 the prefrontal cortex is really what... Um, separates humans from all other species. So the, the, the primary functions of the frontal lobe, one is the primary motor cortex. So this is an area of the cerebrum that contains the cells, uh, uh, cells of origin for like descending motor pathways and is involved in initiating voluntary movements and controlling specific muscles throughout the body, especially those in like fine motor control, fine motor skills. The premotor area, now this area is related to initiation of voluntary movements. This is the section of the brain that, that stores specific knowledge for controlling skilled movements that have already been learned. So a specific dance, uh, if you play the guitar, the, the chords to a song, the more you do it, you're enhancing that ability and it gets stored in the, in the premotor area. Uh, Broca's area, I mentioned in a different episode, this is responsible, uh, for, our speech and written language. Um, for 95% of people and 100% of those who are right-handed, the speech center exists in the left hemisphere. So a lot of times when they're doing brain surgery, they'll do something called a WADA test, which is injecting, uh, I think it's phenobarbital into one hemisphere of the brain 
and then asking the patient uh, a series of questions to see where the language center is because that they want to make sure that they don't destroy that area of the brain. So the prefrontal cortex, as I had mentioned, uh, this is kind of the, probably, I think, the least well-defined area of any other region of the cerebrum, um, but is believed to be the, 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 the neurological territory where, where personality, insight, foresight, thoughts, uh, the distinction between, again, like I said, humans and, and, and other species, uh, damage to or removal of the prefrontal cortex uh, will inhibit or prevent the ability to concentrate for extended periods of time. It in, interferes with the ability to think through problems. Uh, you see this in a disorder called like behavioral disinhibition syndrome. Uh, the story of Phineas Gage was kind of the uh, ontogenesis of neuropsychology. Uh, his his skull is actually in a museum uh, at Harvard. So he was a rail railroad rail <laughs> railroad worker, and he was laying down uh, spikes. And long story short. A spike had pierced him right through underneath his chin, all the way through his throat into his skull, but he didn't die. Uh, prior to this incident, he was a family man, a church-going man, a kind man, a working man. After they removed the uh, the spike from his head, uh, which is also in a museum at one of the Harvard museums, um, he became belligerent. He became the town drunk. He swore he was abusive. And it's, it's, it's a really interesting story if you, if, you, if you look up the story of Phineas Gage, because what we know about the brain comes from learning about broken brains, because if you are, have a certain skill set or certain ability and a certain area of the brain is damaged, then you know that that area controls that certain behavior. So, you know, it, it, it damaged, for Phineas Gaze, the orbital prefrontal cortex, which is really where um, it's kind of the seat of, 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 of personality. So... The the brain is it's it's it, it's a it's a fascinating thing. Um, the limbic system is also a very important. Uh, you know, we have the four lobes. Um, I'm not going to get too deep. I don't want to put everybody to sleep, but I think it's really important to segue that the dysregulation of any of these structures is interconnected with with mental health and or mental illness. So the limbic system, limbic is Latin for border, and there are several structures in the limbic system. The two that I'm going to focus on are, are generally considered the, the most most important. And one is uh, the amygdala, which is Greek for like almond or tonsil. And it's part of something called the basal nuclei, and it plays a key role in helping helping us to display appropriate behaviors for varying uh, social situations. Damage or injury to the amygdala, which is located like inside the anterior temporal lobe, 
uh, can affect emotion, particularly fear, decision-making, memory, attention, homeostatic processes like heart rate, respirations, via connections to the hypothalamus and behavioral responses. So it's an incredibly important area of the brain embedded deep inside. Um, I mentioned the hippocampus, which is uh, Greek for seahorse because it looks like a seahorse. Uh, and the hippocampus plays a critical role in memory. Um, the classic study, I think he's still alive, of H.M. I, I think I'm pretty sure he's from Minnesota, and I think they still study him today. He had uh, severe damage to the hippocampus, and every day the doctor would come in, and H.M. would never know who he was, even though he's been working with the guy for years. He has no ability to learn information because the hippocampus is, is, is damaged. So I would encourage you to go online. It's a pretty cool story to read about. Um, but the hippocampus is really the key area of the brain for extended memory, um, but not permanent memory, in fact. And, and, and I guess a damage to the hippocampus will dramatically affect uh, anyone's ability to store memories. Um, it's also a key area of the brain in patients who are depressed and those with Alzheimer's disease. So... <clears throat> The brain is a, it's, it, it's just, it's a fascinating thing. And, uh, you know, the old saying that we use 20% of our brain, that is a complete, complete misconception because if we use 20% of our brain or only 20% of our brain was working, we would be in a coma. We may not utilize the full capacity of our brain at all times, but that's very different than saying, only 20% of the brain is functioning at any given time. So I at least wanted to kind of lay the groundwork as we move through the disorders. I can kind of come back. Uh, I know a lot of you guys have been taking notes and stuff like that, which is probably helpful because as I move through the disorders and kind of go back to some of the other ones, we can talk about, and I'm sure Julia will be able to reference this, um, the, you know, the, Interaction of, of, you know, psychopharmacokinetics and psychopharmacology in really mediating where there's dysregulation. And that doesn't occur necessarily so much in the structures of the brain as it does in the communication between the neurons of the brain. Um, and there's over a billion neurons in the brain, each of what, each of which can have up to 5,000 synapses. So we'll get into like neuroreceptors, uh, cellular communication, cause it's really cool. And if you think about it, all of this is going on as you're listening to this podcast, you're utilizing all of this stuff. And it, it's, it's a, it's a really neat process because a lot of it is involved. It, it, it's electrical communication. Uh, hormonal communication and uh, it, it, it's, it's fascinating. And I, I remember, you know, the, the classes I took in, you know, uh, psychophysiology, I mean, the years of studying that, this was always cool because uh, we're dealing with um, sodium channels, calcium channels, potassium channels, and they're like gates that move back and forth. And, it, and so, you know, hopefully the next episode, I'll get into this about, uh, how the brain actually functions and what goes on inside the brain. Cause it's a really cool and really fascinating process. And this is what happens with all of us. And also what happens with a lot of just species in general. Um, 
Although I don't think jellyfish, they, don't, they apparently don't have any brains, but not sure about that. Uh, certainly not my area of expertise. So hopefully this was informative to kind of lay a groundwork um, of the, the structural integrity of what sits on top of our heads every day. Um, and I always had the question, um, like, can the organ responsible for thought have the capacity to truly understand itself? So you basically, can the brain understand the brain? Because we need to use our brain to understand the brain. I think it's more of a me a philosophical question, but um, this is again like Julie always say: Does your mind ever stop talking or stop working? And I was like, No, I'm always thinking about something. So, uh, as always, feel free to reach out to me at Psychology Today. Um, you can reach out to me at uh, Psychology Unplugged at Outlook dot com, uh, NeuropsychDR at Hotmail dot com. Happy to speak with you guys. Um, as always, be well. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other as we move through this pandemic there's light at the end of the tunnel positive things uh for, for those in the united states uh, have a relaxing memorial day weekend even though it's gray in new england and rainy uh, but be well and take care of your brains all right take care bye-bye guys